Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of my podcast, Singled Out. In this episode, we're going to discuss a topic which I think all of us have contemplated at some point or another during singlehood, and that is the topic of soulmates. What's interesting is the differing opinions that people have about love being set for us or being something we make. Do you believe that there is one ideal partner out there for you and that you each eventually make your way to one another, or is love a choice? And in that sense, there could be many people who are potentially suitable for us. What adds to the confusion is when we consider how does Judaism feel about soulmates? Does such a concept even exist within religion? And for most of us, we'd probably venture to say yes, because of the ever so famous Gemara in Masachet Sota that says so. For those of you that are unfamiliar with this piece in the Talmud, it states that 40 days before an Ashama is sent down to this world, a heavenly voice comes out and declares which match the soul will be predestined to in the future. And here is the source of our controversy. What do I make of this Gemara? How do I understand Judaism's take on soulmates and answer the tons of questions that come from being told there's a predetermined match for all of us? Well, in this episode, our guest Esther Ween makes a beautiful and compelling argument for the case of understanding the real truth behind soulmates. Esther Ween is a very well-known Jewish educator who's been teaching for close to 30 years. She's known for teaching subjects such as Parsha, Tefillah, Navi, History, and teaches primarily on an intellectually advanced level, but always gears her shiurim and lectures towards students of all levels of education. That being said, this episode is probably going to feel a little more shir-esque or lecture-based, if you will, and that's why I've actually provided the sources she goes through for you guys to look through on your own as well. I hope that won't deter you from listening, because the new way in which she explains the truth behind this Gemara was life-changing for me. And I don't say that lightly. Its lesson is something which I think is also really poignant to consider, especially as we go into Rosh Hashanah and head into the Yamim Noraim. Get ready for a whole new way to understand how we look at love, marriage, and ourselves. Welcome, Esther Ween, to Singled Out, a podcast where we discuss the difficulties of being single in the Jewish community, as well as ways of making the most of it. Thank you so much for coming on and making the time to be here today. Pleasure. Thank you, Zahava, for your hard work and creativity and how you're, you're, you know, addressing this challenge among the endless challenges that we all have. (laughs) Thank you so much. So this episode is going to discuss the very popular subject of soulmates. And I think that everybody pretty much has their own stance or individual ideas on soulmates. And it could be like the romantics in us, but a lot of us really hold on to that concept and idea that there's someone that's designated for us and someone we're designated for. And the reason I'm so excited to have you on specifically because the lecture I heard you give on this topic provided such an extremely different but also really beautiful way and such a refreshing way to understand soulmates in Judaism. So thank you for coming and I'm really excited for listeners to get to hear from you on this topic specifically. Okay, here we go. Let's <laughs> jump right in. Jump right in and synthesize a very interesting Gemara that is often quoted, the first page, which is often called Daf Beis, of the Masech of Sota, has three statements regarding what looks like Shaduchim. And they all do not jive with each other. And the Gemara asks, hey, what's going on? And the Gemara gives an answer. And we're going to analyze that right now and see what we learn from it. So the first thing the Gemara says, to paraphrase, okay, is that nobody gets set up with their mate on any basis 
other than their merits. In other words, what you make out of yourself is what is going to dictate what sort of person is going to be fitting for you. Therefore, clearly, according to this Kamara, our self-development is our choice. And therefore, what we choose to make ourselves into is going to affect the type of person that's compatible to us. And therefore, it's 100% in our choice who ends up being a good match. Then the Gemara says, making these matches is as hard as splitting the sea, which is like, okay, what does that mean? And then the Gemara says something that is super popular, but it's in total contradiction to the first statement in the Gemara. And that is 40 days before the formation of a vlad, of a fetus, fetus yeah. the gospel goes out, meaning a message from God, and says, this one is destined to that one. Okay? Yeah, I think that's the Gemara that everybody knows in quotes. That's the one. Harun Yom, Kodem Yitzirus of Vlad, Baskol Yotzes, Baskol Yotzes is Basploni to Ploni. All right. Basploni is female. Order of Ploni goes to Ploni. Now the Gemara asks a question. Wait a minute, I know what you're all thinking. We just said that you only get paired up with someone or you only find someone who's compatible for you on the basis of your merits, which are completely in your own hands. And now you're saying it's predetermined 40 days before the formation of the fetus. Now, when we say that 40 days before the fetus is formed, we're meaning the moment of conception because in Judaism, the fetus is formed at 40 days. How does the Gemara resolve this? Is it predetermined at conception or is it based on your merits, what you make out of yourself, which is a lifetime of work? The Gemara says, no, we don't have a question here. We're talking about two different zivogim. The one that you that is predetermined, that conception, that's called your zivog rishon, your first partner, your first mate. And the one that you earn based on your merits, that's called your zivog shaman, your second one. Now the question is, wait, 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 what is going on here? Wait a minute, how do we know which one we get? The one was predetermined, the one we earn. Yeah. Let's assume that the famous one, that it's determined that conception, let's assume that one, okay, is the one we're going to go with. Let's ask all the questions we need to ask about that one. If I get married to somebody, how, how do I know? Like, how do I know that the person I'm choosing was preconditioned at birth? Like, how can I tell that's my basher? Number two, well, I'm attracted to all sorts of people. So, you know, what if I'm attracted to someone that's already married to somebody else? Right. Okay, and that's the only person I'm attracted to, and I'm, and I'm obsessed. Does that mean that that's my basher, but they married the wrong person and that was one predetermined for me? Okay, what happens if a person never gets married? What about the predetermined other half? What happens to them? What happens, um, what happens to the Balchuba? Let's say the Gemara doesn't specify like what sort of person. It just says everybody. Everybody at the moment of conception has somebody predetermined for them. So let's say I grow up, I'm not Jewish. Is there someone predetermined for me? Yeah. Okay, now let's say I become Jewish. Wait, it would be a totally, totally different right, person. a new person. A new person. So now, is there a second, you know, potential basher? And then let's say they become Hasidish. So then there's a, like, how many potential perfect matches basher mm-hmm. people who are, are there for me? Like, obviously, as I change, different people are going to be relevant, and I'm only going to be interested in different people. So are there an infinite amount of people that could be my basher? What do we do with all of these questions? So we are not the only ones to have these questions. And um, the Rambam specifically says something in, in um, the eight chapters, something shocking. He says a number of things that people mistakenly think are in God's hands, but they're not, such as marrying a particular person. He says straight out that marriage is not predetermined. And he explains why. He says it's a mitzvah. It's something you have to choose to do. Marriage is something you do by choice. You make a choice. Wait, so that's an interesting argument of itself. I mean, the Rambam is already stating anytime there's a mitzvah, it's ultimately a choice. Hashem can't predetermine because then it goes against the concept of free will, I guess. 
because the Gemara says, Hakolbi de Shamayim, Chutzmi. Everything is in the hands of heaven except how much you bring yourself in sync with God. And that's through the mitzvah. So, how much you do that is in your hands, and the getting married is one of the ways. So, how could it possibly be in God's hands? He just blows it out of the water. So, then the question is okay, well, then what do we do with this Gemara? Is Gemara saying something that Rambam saying doesn't work? Like right. it's not a truth? That things are. So, here comes this great insight, this life changing, literally transformative epiphany, aha moment, courtesy of a very, very great thinker from the 1400s called Rabbi Yitzchak Arama, a Spanish philosopher, um, wrote a book called The Akedat Yitzchak. He says, when the Gemara says that there are two zivugim, two soulmates for a person, one is predetermined at conception, and one is what you get based on your merits and what you've done with yourself, it is not talking in both cases about marriage at all. Rather, the soulmate um, that is designated for you at the moment of conception is a different type of partner. The zivug rishon, that first attachment, that first partner, and is made by God, is the partnership of which body receives which soul. And what that means is that a human being, okay, is a combination of their genetic material contributed by their parents. Obviously, the laws of nature can, can created by God, managed by God. But the genetic material, which is the culmination of the achievements of their ancestors, going all the way back, which is passed down, and not just physical features, but even spiritual features, and into this body, into this human being, there is invested what is called a neshama, a soul. And the soul of a person has a personality. It has an identity. It's, a, it's female. It's bas, plony. Just to recap a bit, when the Gemara is speaking about that 40 days before conception, a voice comes out and says that this daughter will go to this zivug or partner. The reason it's using feminine is because you're saying in Kabbalah, the soul is referred to in the feminine uh, gender, and that's, that's really what it's talking about for that specific zivug. It's called a woman. It's called a female. Because the female in Kabbalah is a reference. The word female is used not only for biological females. That's just an allegory. Biological females are strictly an allegory. So it is the ability, the female force is the ability, okay? It is the force in a person that seeks to draw in truths, ideas, and build upon them and express them and develop them. Just like a female takes in potential, a sperm, mm -hmm. and devotes all its energies to building it into something, a whole world. What, what a soul is for a person, okay? is the drive and the initiative to express oneself and to draw in those truths that it will work to express. The neshama is the part of us that allows us to draw in truths by learning, by seeking, and then work on them. That's the female, like a female, biological female. Draw them in and build them. And every person is unique in that the things that stimulate them intellectually, emotionally, that the ideas that move them, you know, it's different. Everybody's a different spirit, different things that move them and different things which they want to apply themselves to and express in the world in different ways. 
that is invested into a person. And that is called a Zivuk Rishon. Every person has already, they don't have to worry if they lost it, if they bypassed it, if it belongs to someone else, no questions. Everybody already has within them the marriage of their body and their soul. So in a really beautiful way, everyone is their own first yes. soulmate, so to speak. Yes, that is your Zivag Rishon. And you know what? That's the most important enterprise of your whole life, which is to make Shalom bias, which means peace in the home between the soul and the body. And the body. The body's desires should be what the soul desires. The soul wants truth. It wants to know what we're part of. It wants to be attached. And that should then be the body's desires. And that's the Shalom bias we're working on. Now, once a person does, is engaged in the work. Now, when a person's engaged in this work, that's what constitutes their self-development. They will attract someone who appreciates that self-development. Now, where there's two phrases we use. Someone who understands that they're part of the creator, like a fetus in the womb, like we're a part of God. So when a person's in that zone, and they're learning and they're growing and they're really recruiting their, their, their talents and their strengths, we call that creator mode. But when a person wants to identify themselves strictly by their body and their feelings and what things seem like to them, and they completely discredit the possibility that there is a feed from God into their mind, then all they have left is basically to figure it out based on conventional wisdom and accumulated scientific knowledge of like how best to make it through this world. And the two motivating forces are pleasure, pleasure, avoidance of pain and self-preservation. I call that survival mode. Now, the truth is, when it comes to your Zivik Shani, the person you earn based on your merits, okay, number one, it's not predetermined. That's a choice. And what happens is we are selective. And the reason we're selective is because in this day and age, we're not helpless. We're not in danger if we're single. We're selective today. And what are we looking for? Let's be honest. What are we really looking for? We're looking for people in creator mode. Survival mode is not pretty. Meaning finding someone who is also in survival mode isn't pretty. We don't want to be in survival mode, and we certainly don't want to marry someone in survival mode. Because survival mode has one question. How can I use this to my advantage? Either to get status, to get influence, so that I can get what I want, to get pleasure. In survival mode, you really have no patience for taking the other person's needs. And, um, and nobody wants to be with anyone in survival mode. And unfortunately, today, part of the reason that it's very hard for a lot of people to get married in a godless society there's a lot of people in survival mode and there's even something called kosher style survival mode i never heard of that i made it up (laughs) what is that kosher style survival mode is basically when a person is driven again by getting their needs met say oh and i'll let me keep god happy so it'll help me get my needs met so here hashem let me do mitzvah so you should be happy so that so you'll give me what i want and you won't hurt me i think a lot of times people will do certain actions i guess or traditional like mitzvot in order to say like okay just because they're more nervous about the punishment or negative outcome and like okay i want to please the you know angry king in the sky as opposed to doing out of a place of all these false perceptions but you see the nefesh time explains that we are like and it we're like god the name elohim is the name of god in chapter one when he's creating if god is creating expressing himself then we are here to express ourselves that is what we're here for but what self do we express 
So if you're in survival mode, the self you're expressing is basically your physical self and your emotional self. Like, I just don't want to be in emotional pain and physical pain. But if you're in creative mode, the self you're expressing, it's God's world and you'll be provided for. And if, and, um, if this guy doesn't give me a job, it doesn't matter. Hashem has a thousand million other messengers who can give me a job, you know, who God can work through. So it takes away a tremendous amount of stress and it takes away the burden of having to fend for yourself constantly and worry about everything. And that's the kind of person that will attract other people because they're positive and they see the good in others and they see the potential value in others. In the one hand, it's good, it's a benefit. On the other hand, what are priorities for trying to get married? Priorities are the key value in a human being, the key character trait that matters if they're in creative mode. If they see every day is an opportunity, if they believe in themselves, if they believe that they are part of God's own self-expression and they have their own way to channel something as they are a physical being and looking for that positive quality in a person. And that, again, that comes down to choice. That is choice. That is not predetermined. So that's what's meant when it says that your Zivuk Shani is the one that you earn based on your deeds or actions or where you are spiritually. much work a person does to develop that partnership in a good way, obviously that is going to affect who they are and then who they're attracted to and who's attracted to them, right? How you use Zivig 1 is going to have a really big impact on Zivig 2. Hold on, I have a bunch of questions. So when it says then like, so is it talking about your first Zivug, your, your body and soul, or it's referring to your match? Everything, all, all matches. Yeah, because... You know, it's not easy. It's not, it's not automatic. I guess I resonated first thinking about that phrase of, you know, having matches being as hard as splitting the sea is like, oh, yeah, I totally hear how if we're talking about the first pairing of soulmates where your work on constantly growing and changing and dealing with things that come your way. That's that's really hard. Um, but also relationships like as beautiful as they are require a lot of work and investment. So both of them kind of constantly need to be addressed and being worked through in order to be successful. But here's the thing. The more a person develops themselves, meaning if a person sees themselves in relationship to God, and the Mm -hmm. more a person makes themselves wiser, and then they make themselves more open-minded, more kind, more patient, less judgmental, more inclusive, the more a person develops themselves, which is what the Torah is trying to guide us to, then the path to a relationship with someone else will be easier. Right, for sure. And I once had a tremendous, a fantastic, fantastic therapist in my house doing a whole session here. His name was Leonard Carr from South Africa. And what was so fascinating is he said, there's no, there's no marriage issues. Each person has to work on themselves. The more a person becomes a developed person, the more they're able to get along with somebody else. So what do you advise people who focus much more on their Zivug Shani, on their match, their spouse, before fully developing their body-soul connection? Because there are people, I think, who put a lot more emphasis on that than their personal growth first. You know, Rav Moshe Shapiro, a great, great teacher, mentor, died two years ago, really the great philosopher, king of our generation. He always said this that you are not put on this earth for someone else. The main goal of a person is to develop themselves. You can see that the more a person develops themselves, the more others will benefit. If I'm smarter and funnier and kinder and more patient, then everybody who I interact with will benefit more. If I don't develop myself and I'm petty and angry and all I do is read comic books all day 
and like who's going to benefit from me. So self-development is not just important, it's a holy task. Why? Because as we keep saying, the self is part of God's self-expression. So the more we align ourselves, the more we are a conduit through which God speaks, single or married. What do we do, you know, in the meantime? There's no such thing as in the meantime. Every day is about self-development. And you know what the people talk about, hishtadlis? We think hishtadlis is to work hard to get to a goal. No. Hishtadlis is to work hard in the moment, utilizing the moment for taking from it whatever it can be. Hishtadlis is in the process. It's not the stylus to get to the goal, so we find the stylus is working hard in the process because the goal is not really in our hands ever. I mean, yes, we can choose to get married, but the goal is to have a good marriage. The goal is to bring out the best in each other. Like in a marriage, you know, to we imagine and we dream, let's just say we'll have the perfect house and the perfect kids. Like, see, these things are not in our hands. What's in our hands is the process, who we become, how we relate to other people. Singles, of course, you know, I think would benefit from knowing two things. One very simple and practical. This is going to be the, this is the shock. There is no basher in who you marry. It's only basher of which neshama goes to which body. But who you marry is your choice based on your self-development, based on your ability to be generous with other people and their shortcomings. And... <laughs> identify which shortcomings are taboo and off the table, you know, like non-negotiable and which aren't. And that is not Bashar. That's number one. Who you choose to marry is not predetermined. And sometimes there are people are in situations where they're not going to make that choice and they're not able to make that choice and there's legitimate reasons. Sometimes I think when you decide to end a relationship or, you know, a certain suggestion isn't for you, I think sometimes it can be comforting to feel like, oh, and that person gets married. So, okay, then I, now I have closure that really wasn't for me. I know, we love to say that, but let, let's say this. In, even in the areas that we have free choice, there's mm-hmm. always the behind the scenes hand of God, okay? Even in the areas we have free choice. However, at the same time, what this is telling us is no, you are never absolved of choice. If a person, for example, decides I must get married, I will get married, I will get married, right? If nothing stands before the will, then you, you will see people that will change their list of expectations, overlook things that used to be important, and they will just get married and people will do it. I'm not saying it's always the right thing to do. Right. Sometimes it's an act of desperation that's foolish or whatever. But what I'm trying to say is, yes, people make choices. Now, having understood this concept of your first and second soulmate and how they interplay, why do you think this message is so important for singles? It's so important for everybody. It's so not unique to singles. Really, what a person is here for in this world is to make out of themselves someone whole. And here's, I'll end with this most profound idea. In the physical realm, in order to have an offspring, a child, there are three partners. There's the father, there's the mother, there's even four partners. Let's say it this way. Mm-hmm. Midwife, like the person who helps you get through all the, the, the contractions, right? And the ups and the pains. And, and then there's the offspring. Kabbalistically speaking, you know what they say? In terms of self-development, we are all of the above. Okay? Mm-hmm. The male really is God, like I said, gives us the truths. Okay. We are the female, the woman, we draw them in. Our life challenges are the midwife and the offspring is ourselves. It's like who you become. Yeah. Our God-like self that we develop and that and we build. 
And in the end, every human being, whether they are in a marriage or not a marriage, this is their job. And having a female, physical female, and a physical male, and a physical child is just a muscle. It's just a muscle. The real work is happens all inside a person. Yeah, there's a beautiful quote that I uh, heard in a song recently that says, like, we're the tiny children that are learning from our grown selves. So it's like, it's true. Like you are kind of your own mother, father, child, etc. So it really doesn't matter if a person has a hundred offspring in this world and they put a big picture on their profile of their huge family or if a person has another one but themselves who is highly developed. It really doesn't matter. The real work, even if a person has a hundred children, that doesn't mean they did any of the real work the real self-development. Who is living beyond that physical phase? The only part of us that lives on is the fully developed ani, I, that I made out of myself. That I lives on. And that is the work that has to be done irregardless of the physical circumstances. For me, at least, I, it's important, I think, to, to hear that message of regardless of your physical relationship status, that first and foremost, and honestly, more important, relationship to be building is that relationship between your neshama and your goof and obviously dedicating that lifestyle to a higher purpose to getting closer to Hashem. I think, and I, I would never want this to come across as apologetic or to do away with the pain that comes with waiting for your zivuk sheni because there's a tremendous amount of, but I still really desire that closeness and there's an importance to wanting that phase. But I think for me, it's a little bit of a sense of liberation that at the very least there's i i can still fulfill whatever purpose i need to in this world even if i don't let's say i mean hopefully you know all of us will but even if i don't get my zivakshini my zivakrishin is still an important relationship to be fostering and and putting energy into yeah and also we're living in in very auspicious times where we don't know all the big pieces of the huge puzzle that are all being put Mm -hmm. in place but the fact that the concept in the world today is identity and individual identity, that that is so powerful in the world. This is what's going on. This is, as we come close to what's called the Achras Tegavim, the ends of days, and our understanding of our relationship with Hashem is getting closer, this concept of personal identity is like flooding the world, you know? And it's even superseding the more traditional notion that your identity is in context with, you know, your marriage or your kids. You know, I spoke to somebody who's a psychologist, but he's from the previous generation. He's like 80. And he literally said to me, the measure of your success in life is, you know, how your kids are doing. If they all grew up according to the way you raised them and they're giving you nachos, then you're... So the identity was in context of other people. And if they are extensions of you or if they are in sync with you, like the idea of a personal identity and that every, and I said to him, well, what if your kids don't live the life as you raise them? They make their own choices and they do their own thing. Then you're, you have no identity. You're not happy. You fail. Right. I said, yeah, like your kids should be how you would. So wow. then, it's a different universe now. The yeah. universe today is every person has an identity of their own and they're here to, to develop it. And it is very, very much the most essential Jewish idea. And the fact that today relationships are in crisis and relationships aren't guaranteed, not between parents and children, not between in marriages. And like, there's so much of 
individual self-development that is required. It's funny. I know millennials are always viewed as being this like very selfish generation, but in a lot of ways, I think there's a luxury to having time to focus on ourselves because we're finally in a generation where we're not pressed the same way or have outside stressors the same way where, you know, we used to. You know, people like to denigrate the force out there, which is identity and self-expression and me and me being taken seriously and me being valued and say so selfish and so narcissistic. No, I mean, it could be, but Kabbalistically, what has been unleashed in the world in preparation for the end of days for Mashiach is what the whole world started with, chapter one of Horatius, the human being being called in, in likeness to God. And if God is creator, which means self-expressor, then the human being's drive for self-expression has come now all the way back to the beginning. The essential part, force of the human being is self-expression. Mm-hmm. And that means that we are touching the most godly part of us. And we just have to know how to use it right. I guess to start wrapping up, is there a personal funny dating story you'd like to share or piece of advice? Could be about anything that you think you'd like to share with us today. Yes, and- my advice, kind of like less is more. Just develop yourself. Recognize that everybody's developing themselves. And when people do things that are frustrating or disappointing, you say four words. You just say four words. It's not about me. They're going through their journey. They're working on themselves. I'm not reactive to other people's stuff. Like depersonalize. Yeah. And all your relationships will improve. (laughs) All relationships will be better. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure getting to hear from you. And we should all... We should all really achieve what we're here for, which is full, full self-expansion in all the proper ways. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, take care. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Esther. For me, there were two takeaways that really stood out. The first is that I loved the parable Esther gave about how we view ourselves as our own offspring. That the real goal of this world is to be focusing on who we are in the process And who we become serves as the fruits of our labor of what we have to be proud of. This, I think, is a really important message to be thinking about as we go into Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and definitely helped reframe for me different ways to be thinking about my relationship with Hashem. And the second, and again, this is, of course, if you resonated with Esther's approach to our spouses being a choice, is that it's just that, a choice. Hearing that approach almost did the equivalent of telling a child that the tooth fairy isn't real for me. It unromanticized the concept of dating and finding a partner tremendously. But on the other hand, because it's a choice, and because technically there could be many people who are potentially suitable, it definitely caused me to reshift my focus. If I could technically marry a few different types of people, so then what actually matters? What essential qualities are more important for me to hone in on and others less so that I should do away with and let go of? Those are just two ideas that really stuck out to me. As a reminder, I'll post your resources in the notes below so you guys can go through them again if you'd like to review them or just learn them. If you'd like to hear more of Esther Ween's lectures, you can find her on Torah anytime on YU Torah. And if you'd like to hear her in person, she actually gives a weekly Parsha share in Young Israel of Lawrence of Cedarhurst. I hope you guys enjoyed and I want to wish you all an incredible year and a Shana Tova that's filled with only the best for you and your loved ones and to stay tuned for more upcoming episodes. Chag Sameach.